Okay, welcome to the Healthy, Comfortable, Happy podcast uh, with myself, my co-host Sass James, and our first ever guests. Sass, would you like to introduce the guest? I would love to introduce our very first guest. I am brimming with pride right now, and I would love to introduce my very gorgeous niece, Georgia. Um, Georgia is, it's her birthday in a few days, exciting, so happy birthday for a few days, Um, but Georgia is going to be 23, she is, uh, has just left university last year, she studied at Oxford, where she did experimental psychology and philosophy, don't you know, a dual honours degree, and she is currently, um, I'm going to let her tell you a little bit more herself, Um, but she is going to be studying a master's degree in clinical mental health sciences. So who better to have on for our wellbeing podcast, Mr. Thomas, than a young lady who is very passionate about mental health, who is very, you know, in the young population, has recently just done her education, obviously still continuing with her master's, but to hear from the voice of the youth, I am more than excited more than excited. So Georgia, welcome and thank, thank you, you for so joining much. us. Woohoo! <laughs> what an introduction. I've never had myself introduced so that's very exciting. Thank you for having me and I'm honoured to be the first guest. Oh well we are delighted. So let's not mess about and let's just get cracking because we have got so much to talk about, so many questions and would love to hear all your uh, opinions and views on it. So um neil i'm going to pass over to you for the first question yeah so georgia as a, a, i think we've explained to you off air um we kind of have a kind of set standard questions at the start and at the end and then in between uh, obviously we're going to have a wider discussion so our first question for every guest is what does well being mean to you well i mean the first kind of response to this is well-being means a lot to me uh, it means a lot to me personally Um, And it also means a lot to me professionally in my job. Um, I work on a psychiatric ward. So I'm constantly thinking about wellbeing, both for myself, uh, my colleagues, and obviously the patients that I support every day. Um, I think as a definition, uh, wellbeing is is a state of both mind and body. So there's kind of a physical side and a mental side. But I'm actually starting to think that more and more we should link the two and then really make those connections um you can't really have one without the other and it's really important to focus on both um for example in the hospital where i work we are constantly encouraging patients to eat well and to sleep well and to exercise as well as do things for their own mental well-being i think the more these things are you know put together it also makes it easier for people to understand that, oh, you know, I look after my physical well-being, so I should also look after my mental well-being. Mm. It's kind of a progression. Um, so that link is something that I actually, I'm really interested in. And I try and kind of push um, in both myself and in others. Um, yeah. Brilliant. I think, yeah, I think you've touched upon some very um, powerful thoughts that I'm, I'm sure we could dig into and dig into and dig into. So I can't wait to crack into the session. And uh, you can, you've explained there kind of what well-being means to you. So, so why do you think, or why is well-being so important to you, both personally and I guess professionally, because it's so so closely linked for you? Yeah, um, I think when people hear well-being, we're still at that stage where people can bat it away, or think, oh, there are more important things in life. You know, well-being. What a you know, juvenile word, um, what does it really mean? And actually what we're starting to see more and more is when you neglect your well-being, it leads to really serious and long-term problems. Um, so, you know, we differentiate between what we call mental health and mental well-being. Mental well-being may be something that fluctuates day to day. For example, in the pandemic, lots of people have had low well-being. Um, But actually mental health and kind of clinical mental health problems are can be really lifelong issues. Mm. Uh, And it's important to prioritize your well-being, meaning the day to day stuff 
um, whether that's your job or your family or what, what your priorities are in order to prevent these mental health problems from surfacing and from getting to that stage where you are really in need of help. Um, I think to me, that's the most important thing is, is by prioritizing your well-being, you are preventing a longer term problem. I mean, yeah, that's just a fascinating insight, George, because I certainly hadn't, uh, well, I guess, read or thought of, you know, well-being, you know, um, and those two terms that you brought up, mental well-being and then mental health. Mm. and how they you know how they're so interlinked it, it makes perfect sense now that you said it but like most things it's not until someone kind of highlights or, or explains something very well and very articulate oh sorry you've just explained it in a very articulate way that yeah, yeah that makes yeah a huge amount of sense and and, and certainly uh, made me think about both of those terms and the importance of well-being playing into that wider or longer picture i guess mm. with age of uh mental health as well amazing thank you for thank you for those insights on those two questions well it's not actually my own i have to admit it's not my own thought i am um, I, <laughs> um, I worked for sane which is a mental health charity in university and we we gave um kind of informative workshops to children in schools um, and we had this diagram that we drew that differentiated between mental well-being and mental health and one of the main insights i got from it was you can have bad mental health you can actually you know have maybe a diagnosis of depression mm. lifelong diagnosis but good mental well-being which means you can be happy in your day-to-day -day and healthy um because you're managing your disorder at the same time you know you can have good mental health and not be diagnosed with something yet but have really bad mental well-being you are stressed you're overworked you're burnt out um and that's kind of where everyone is on that scale somewhere we all need to be thinking about where we are mm. that's the important thing i love that though the scale the idea that we're sitting on a continuum somewhere and that we're constantly moving along that continuum on a day-to-day -day basis and almost finding where that that happy safe place is for us to kind of buffer in between that we don't go to one extreme right Definitely. Love that. Neil, write that down. Continuum. I've literally just drawn it as a diagram. Yeah, <laughs> that's what I like to hear. Yeah, yeah. Um, okay, so obviously, gee, I've known you your whole life. Um, and you've always been a very caring, a very um, considerate little thing. Always an observer. As a, as a young one, you were very much so observing people and and watching, watching grown-ups as well, um, and listening, and yeah, very interesting. So I wonder if you could just tell us a little bit about, you know, um, like maybe like life at school, how you found it, um, and also those points where maybe now you can look back and reflect at why, where were those points where well-being maybe mm. kind of peaked that is now meant that you are choosing these pathways in your life so yeah it'd just be really interesting to hear about sort of your school experience yeah definitely um i mean i would say i was very lucky with the school that i went to and the peer group that i had in that i had a very i'd say good kind of mental well-being overall at school i was very kind of comfortable i was at a small school a girl's school it was very safe. Um, I didn't have any kind of traumatic things that happened to me. And all those are really, you know, important foundations for building someone's resilience. What I did unfortunately notice at school was that that wasn't the case for everyone. Um, I think adolescence, you know, 13 to 18 and beyond really is, is a time where people really struggle with their mental health. Um, and when I was at school, that just wasn't talked about. Um, you know and and what happened was people would talk to each other so girls they talk to each other that's what girls do but they talk to each other about you know really serious issues like self-harm um, and not eating and that actually fuels a really negative atmosphere you know we're not professionals at that age we don't know how to help each other 
it can fuel copying behavior and people aren't getting the help that they need. Um, and I think that actually really fueled my passion for mental health as a, sub as a subject kind of topic, because I just thought this is, this is ridiculous that so many of my friends are going through this and there's no support at school. There's no education. You know, you're teaching us science, maths, history, GCSEs, A-levels, whatever. You know, are we taught what anxiety is? Are we taught the signs that a friend is struggling? No. And that to me was ridiculous. Um, I, my understanding now is that, you know, people are getting better at talking about things. We still have a long way to go. Um, but that word, that kind of stigma, is still strong and it's still out there, especially in young people. Um, and that's kind of something that I've always been passionate about changing. Yeah, I mean, that is just, it's really interesting to hear. So you left school like four years ago. Yeah, 2016. Years ago. So five school. years ago this summer. And, it, you know, in that, in that time, you know, to hear you say that there's very little education about you know what ang what anxiety is you know how you you know you've got girls supporting each other and that concept of that copycat idea like that's that's terrifying isn't it you know um to think about it so you know what i think hopefully more is being put into education you've got your pshe um, we've talked about things like soft skills in a, a couple of, in a previous episode. And, um, you know, how would you then like to see, like, what would be your advice on how schools could support or what needs to be put into the education system to try and, you know, make it better, more effective, more supportive? Yeah, I thought about this a lot recently, actually, because, you know, obviously where I work, all the focus of education on the ward, I work with young people, so they do have education, but the focus of it is very different to a traditional school. Um, and, you know, we're seeing these new therapies being created. And actually, I, I look at them a lot of the time and think, well, we, we need to be putting this into schools. So there's a recent therapy that's called DBT or dialectical behavioral therapy. Sounds very complicated, it's not. It's literally a group therapy. So it's designed for young people to learn in a group together, which is great for schools. Um, and it focuses on kind of four main categories. Um, mindfulness, which has become a huge buzzword, but I think is a really important skill to be taught early. So teaching people, how to be mindful, how to be in the present, put their phone down, enjoy their walk, even have a conversation when you're focusing on the person in front of you, you know, those really basic skills. Mm. And you've got emotional regulation, teaching young people about the emotions that they might be going through, especially with their hormonal changes. You know, they might be having very extreme sadness or anger and how to recognize that accept it and actually cope with it without doing something like you know running away from home or self-harming it's about managing those emotions without acting on them and that is you know that's a skill that that everyone needs as a young person Absolutely. and then there's interpersonal skills you know focusing on how they really get their point across to other people how they set their boundaries with difficult friendships definitely really important you know on the ward we see a lot of people involved in gang culture and gang crime and that you know those social influences are huge so we need to be putting this into schools to to help people to set their own boundaries and kind of figure out their own path um and then the last one is distress tolerance and that's literally just how do you manage and cope when you are feeling like crap which is really simple but like why is that not in schools? I think we all felt crap as teenagers. <laughs> I just don't know why it's not being taught yet, you know? Right. I mean, like a hundred, a hundred percent. But I feel like the difference between Neil and myself, Neil, I know you're younger than me. I'm dragging you down with me, my friend. But the difference between us and you, Georgia, is that 
you grew up with social media mm. recording everything out there like for everyone to access somehow you know it doesn't it doesn't disappear right so I love this idea that there's like you know you've got a, a different approach more it's more of a holistic approach mm. to this education to to find the skills to so I suppose improving their emotional intelligence as well right as well as this you know this academic side um but what about the social media like um is how do you how did you feel about that at school and how is this impacting what's or it, how did it impact school life and how does it impact your patients that you have um on your ward I think at school I was kind of of that generation where we had it and we were using it all the time but but we weren't warned about the negative sides of it because it was relatively new mm -hmm. I mean Instagram I'm pretty sure like took off when I was like five years you know 15 16 um so everyone was on it all the time and you know as as kids you're not going to think oh what damage might this be having but I remember, as everyone does, and I still do, you know, experiencing that anxiety and that fear that everyone's having a better time and I've been left out of that party and what's so-and-so doing. It's such an unnatural way to live your life. You know, as humans, we're obviously, we need a social circle, but we don't need a social circle of 500 people or a thousand people. It is really unnatural to have access to that many people's lives bearing in mind most of them are celebrities and incredibly wealthy people that will always look like they're having a better time it just creates this kind of anxiety and this feeling that you're not good enough and your life isn't good enough um and it's I, I see it on the ward a lot it's we can't unfortunately do much about it in how much we restrict we try to restrict their phone usage but when they do have their phones they're on them all the time because it's addictive that's the problem it's seeing you know having these posts and and messaging and instant things that is a dopamine release and dopamine is addictive and that it's actually you know i, I think it's fairly irresponsible that, that these have been created without knowledge of that fact um and i don't really think it should be up to the young people anymore to restrict their own usage um because it it's really really difficult I mean, I'm, I'm talking from a very high ground because I deleted Instagram two months ago. So I'm, I'm practicing what I preach at the moment, but I'll probably re-download it next week. So get back. And I, I funny enough today, I, I can't, I don't know what I did, but I've hidden Instagram on my phone. Brilliant. And I, uh, but I can, I can get, if I go to the search, like I can type in Instagram, it's still on my phone, but I, I've hidden it. I can't see it. So, but in all seriousness, I have totally noticed me not using Instagram today. Like, it's an incredible difference just because it's not there for yeah, me to click. Amazing. Um, and yeah, it's. I think it's such a huge aspect with schools uh, or oh, within schools. And but I think coming back to your point, um, that was very valid and tied in really nicely with uh, a previous episode and SAS and I have done about what schools can do. Mm -hmm. I think that DP, DPT method, yeah. did I get that right? Did I jot that right, right? Good. Um, I think that's a really interesting uh, aspect that has got from an educational perspective, and I'm sure SAS agrees. Yeah, amazing. Has got a lot of room for potential impact within the schools. Out of interest, my only question off the back of that, and sorry to kind of go back a little bit, um, is what age do you think we should start doing uh, or introduce, introducing the concepts, you know, even if it's at a very basic level, what age do you think, you know, we should introduce? Is it, is it 12, 11, 12 when they come into secondary school? Is it earlier? Is it four, five, six? I, I, I don't know. That's a really good question. I've not really thought about that before. I guess my immediate reaction is, you know, no age is, is too early because their emotions you you don't just suddenly start having them when you're 13 you know we have them all the time yeah, yeah. at no age is too early to start learning about why you might feel the way you do you know why you cry and why you have a tantrum it's all really important 
at, at what age the school should start taking responsibility for it. I mean, I'd say, you know, at least, you know, year six before, before people are getting into senior school, um, just mm. as that preparation for hitting puberty, because girls who've hit puberty, you know, 10, 11, and by then, that's when your hormones are really out of control. And that's when these difficult moods and emotions can come in. Um, so I think as a preventative, you really do want to start early. Yeah, and certainly that if, you know, the school turned around and asked me, I'd be saying getting in as early as possible. Um, I know that at a previous school, a teacher and a very good friend of Sass and I has introduced mindfulness with her year twos. So what age is that? Seven? Yeah. Six, no, six. six, yeah, yeah. six. Seven. So you know, year two—that's that, young, but nevertheless, learning that skill of taking some time during the during the day just to have two minutes of just nothing and and thinking and breathing and you know that's a very—I think it's a very powerful thing and um, yeah, that I thought that was that was fascinating and also interesting me. I think off the back of of what you've mentioned is you know you've both mentioned kind of girl conversations i think they happen even less in men well in boys in in, in but you know the type of conversations i would imagine that young girls have are very different to the conversations that i had as a year you know an 11 12 year old when it's sports how quick you can you know get to the shop and get whatever and you know, it's it's probably a very different conversation. So I think you know that's that's another aspect that schools need to consider and work out where girls are potentially more emotionally involved quite early on. Mm. Boys don't really ever. You could argue they don't ever get there. You know, um, <laughs> um, but you know, and, and men find speaking to one another very difficult. I I don't know why. I think it's an embarrassment thing in in. That's very broad terms, but um, nevertheless, I think I think that's also a fascinating point that you know schools really need to consider quite mm. deeply. So yeah, sorry, Sash, we kind of touched yeah. upon this great conversation. I'm loving it right. by the way. Um, right. We've touched upon uh, George's experience mm. in school, obviously that leading into uh, the chat about her experience with you know technology culture, and you highlighted our age. Sass. Yeah, mm -hmm. I just. Um, I'm just going to pop but, in. Yeah, Can so, I pop in one random thing? I've just been thinking, and I've never thought yeah. of this before. The way Georgia describes mindfulness, obviously, it's like a buzzword, like you said, and people are a bit like either in it or trying it. Or, but that idea of like appreciating a walk and mm -hmm. enjoying a moment, I feel little, young, right? Young children are mindful because and they when they're on a walk they are do 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 i'm looking at oh. a tree i'm looking at they're not their mind's not busy with it i think our mind gets full as we go up and we've got to try and remember no. how to be mindful so you can like if you were taught it young i'm really just thinking through this to continue that like yeah. the joy to be able to continue that to preserve it and actually to to value it I think that's the problem is it's not valued in schools it's like oh well now you've got your 11 plus assessments and then your exams and GCSEs uh where is mindfulness in that that's not you know a mindful approach to education so you're absolutely right it's when all those things get when the phones and the friendship issues and the hormones get piled on top of it is when it it goes out the window and pretend and potentially then one, well, you know, the last year has been horrendous and, and COVID has caused a lot of damage. Um, but, you know, if, if there are some positives in many ways, like for us as adults, um, you know, it, it's really taught you the value of, you know, um, the power of being just plugging in your headphones and listening to a podcast and going for a walk, being in nature, um, you know, all those things, which, you know, because we did lead such busy lives, the lockdowns have forced us to go, well, I, I'm not allowed to go anywhere. I can only walk from my front door and back to my front door. So where am I going to walk? Well, there's a wood over there. I'll go and have a look. Also, yeah. You know, so in some regards, that's potentially helped. And, and I think, you know, arguably, Sassy, you've probably been on more more walks with your 
your two girls than you ever had them before, even though you went to the parks and everything else, you always try to keep them busy, but you needed to get them out of yeah. the house, right? But that's kind of forced you into that situation. Yeah. Anyway. That, we that are, we're, yeah. No, it's, it's absolutely true. And I'm really keen to talk about your COVID experience, Georgia, because it's, it started in a very turbulent time. But before we get there, I would love to hear about university because as you said, you went to um, an all girls school from the age of four all the way up to 18, um, which is a unique experience in itself. Um, But then you went to university and um, you've made some incredible friends. And I know along the way you've made friends who have also had um, some pretty tough times. I was wondering if you could just um, tell us about your university experience um, and maybe anything that you sort of your journey through that. I think, well, my university experience is, I think, similar to a lot of people still at the moment, which is just you're trying to keep your head above the water to juggle a lot of things whilst have fun. And whilst it is fun, and you're having, you know, you're so busy and you're having so many experiences. I think mental health and mental well-being, it definitely gets pushed to the bottom of the pile. Mm. Um, I think that's especially true if your school and your education hasn't shown you the importance or shown you how to preserve it and to look after it. Um, at my university, you know, if you were handing in your essays on time and doing okay in your exams, that was it. That was the only measure of anything really. Um, They had a, if we're talking about mental health, I mean, they had a counseling service. It was underfunded, it was busy. You know, they'd offer you one counseling session. And then if you weren't suicidal, they'd shove you off. Um, Because that's all they had kind of capacity for. And yeah, unfortunately, I did have quite a few friends that went through some some pretty tough times. You know, I actually went through some really tough times in first year specifically when I was adjusting. My anxiety levels were through the roof. And I even someone as someone that studied psychology, I was still like, what's what's going on? Well, what is this experience? What is this? You know, am I ill? Am I physically unwell? I don't know what's happening. And that's at 18 years old. And, you know, I've gone to a fairly, a very privileged school, had a fairly good education, and I'm still not sure. So, you know, what is someone else that's gone to a state school with none of that? What are, what are they doing? Where are their resources? So it's, it's actually, I think it's a worrying situation that we're throwing young people into this very high pressure situation. Um, but I think, I think, COVID actually will, and maybe this is optimistic of me, it will put more pressure on universities to prioritise mental health. Um, I mean, the university experience for people during this pandemic is what I imagine has been awful. I mean, going back to university and being on your own um, with no support, no, no real social contact, I mean, it's led to more suicides than we've ever seen. And, when, and you know, that just shows, doesn't it, what, what happens when you take away these support networks. But what I'm hoping is that, that it will lead to more of a focus and more of a pressure on universities to do more and hopefully subsequently schools as well. Yeah, um, I mean, wow, you know, what, what a challenge. You did go to um, a top university. So, you know, the Oxbridge world um naturally just has uh pressure doesn't it i suppose you know you are um expected to be of a certain caliber achieve certain things um you your friends you know you've all studied different things so you um you've got people who studied law um yourself who's doing a, a dual honors degree um you know, is there, uh, in regards to sort of an interesting point from Neil, like how, was there a difference between females and males and their experiences at university and, and their, how they 
coped with pressure and was that a shock for you? That's a really interesting point. Um, I think that the main difference that I see um, is that men will often wait for it to be really, really bad before seeking help and saying anything. Um, and that, you know, kind of explains why the suicide rates are higher in men than they are in women, but why women suffer more from mental health conditions. So there's that kind of like two way, you know, you've got women suffering maybe more because they're reporting them, but men are actually staying quiet and then end up ending their lives. Um, and that, you know, links with what Neil was saying about that lack of, you know, feeling like they can't talk about it and they can't be, you know, seen as weak um, or needing help. And yeah, I definitely did notice that um, in the conversations that happened around me. Um, I am much more like, I mean, maybe I, I kind of always put it down to the fact that I study psychology, but I'm much more like to have those kinds of conversations with my girlfriends um, than I am with my guy friends. And if it is with my guy friends, I'm definitely the one leading it and asking intrusive questions as I like to do. <laughs> and are you getting responses? Sorry. Sorry. Were, were you getting responses when you were asking those questions? Were they, was it enough to sort of scratch the surface and, you know? I think, you know, I think I am seeing a change, you know, between my parents' generation and mine in, in the kinds of conversations that guys are willing to engage in. Um, so yes, I'd say more now, men are actually finding these conversations quite interesting and they like to have them. They like to have them with women, but they don't like to have them with men. Okay. And I think that's also a problem is, you know, women can't be the ones just saying, oh, you know, let me ask you about this and let me be your therapist. And, you know, that's not healthy either. Um, we need to be having that. Everyone needs to be having them with everyone. Um, getting professional help if they need to um but yeah I'd say there's still there's still a way to go definitely with guys having a conversation with each other but obviously I can't see that it's just kind of what I imagine um to be happening and what about the age thing George I think that's really interesting as well so the leap from you know being a what you think is a, a young adult when you're in that back end of A levels you know you're the kind of potentially a, a big fish in a small pond in your local town or your school or whatever um, and then that leap that step into you know what is effectively for everybody I think a totally different world when you set off to university whether whether you're living at home with your parents still and going into those environments or whether you've moved cities halfway across the world across you know big thing was going an hour down the M4 to Bristol for me, that was massive for my mum, she was devastated. Mm -hmm. um, but, um, you know, I think that's a really interesting because like when we think about, you know, and we talked about it in schools, that like mental, um, I can't remember what you said earlier offline about uh, the age. Mm, 18, 25. Uh, yeah, so, so yeah, sorry. If it, you just want to explain to the listeners about that. Yeah, about so I, as in when we talk about mental health and mental health problems, we categorize young people as young people until the age of 25. Um, you know, in most physical health problems, you're making a differentiation between 18, under 18 and over 18. But because your brain keeps on developing until you're 25, the cutoff is much later. Um, which means problems tend to can surface up until that point. You're considered quite vulnerable, but also quite malleable up until that point, which makes university yeah. still a really, you know, transformational time for people. Um, and I think that's where it's important that people are prioritizing their mental well-being in those years as well. And, and the problem is that schools prepare students academically maybe for university and they get the grades and they get them in but beyond that you're kind of left your own devices a little bit um obviously depending on what your home life is like people are left to their own devices yeah and, and i think you know um whilst schools can do so much in in preparing i don't think any any school will get that right i.e preparing 
preparing young people for universities because they're going to struggle with some aspect, whether it is academically, um, uh, whether it is academically, um, whether it's uh, mentally, whether it's looking after yourself, whether it's budgeting, whether, you know, all, the, all those facets of adults' life that we don't learn until we're on our own, effectively. But I think there is a really interesting think piece there on that transition with regards to mental health of young people from going from A-levels at your school into universities. And I think universities on their side have to need to take responsibility for that and ensuring that the mental health and mental well-being journey of a young person is supported as well as it is in schools. Yeah. Uh, or hopefully it is in schools when they get to universities from day one because I think that's a you know I, I guess that's a challenge someone if there are any people out there working in universities who know that that's already happening please come on and come on and have a chat with us on the show but I think this that's a really interesting thing piece particularly around the aspect that the, the young brain is still developing key skills or those aspects right up until the age of 25. I was not aware of that fact. And that's that's amazing. That's seven years. It's a huge, you know, I haven't seen, I haven't seen you for four years, Georgia. And you know, that, that's, imagine how much you've come on in those four years. You've still got two, three, four years left until you're 25, so. Yeah, no, definitely. And I think you can also see it in a positive light that is, you know, you are malleable and you're actually in a way more resilient in those years because you can recover from things. So this is where we need to be focusing our efforts is on young people. That's why I like working with young people because they're actually, they bounce back more and they're way more resilient. Some of the people that I work with, you know, 14, 15 year olds have literally been through unimaginable circumstances and still get up in the morning and want to go to the gym. Like amazing. Once you get to an adult, you're actually a bit more stuck kind of down that line. So if we really focus our efforts under this category, it will make the mental health of adults so much better down the line. It's a long, it's like a long-term investment, right? That's what we have to see. It's a, it's an investment that starts young and it continues for 20 years, right? Yeah, being preemptive as opposed to reactionary. And what's interesting is I remember doing a course with Mind Charity and, um, they talked about the fact that when you go to university, you can write down, you know, if you've got asthma, heart condition, but you can also write down if you've got any um, mental illness or, or just, you know, anxiety or something. Um, but the number of people who are so worried about putting it down because they feel it will be deemed negative against them by putting mm-hmm. it down, even in the workplace, you can put it down when you're applying for a job, right? Because at the end of the day, it's an invisible illness. Yeah. And we can hide it. Um, and so like, you know, where, what, what are your, what are your opinions on that? And is this something that is, um, is changing? Is, is your generation are they feeling like they can be confident with that if they need to? Like you've already said that in your first year of university, you did experience a bit of anxiety. Um, it was it was a change, and you know you were like, "What's going on?" Um, you know, do you feel like people are starting to be able to say, "Yeah, I've I've suffered from this. I've I've suffered from that," but you know, it's okay. I do feel like it's starting but I don't know if that's just the position and obviously the work that I'm in, because obviously my colleagues that I work with, you know, whilst no one asks, why do you work in mental health services? The underlying assumption is most people do because they've experienced some level of poor mental health and they're motivated to to help others with it. Mm -hmm. So I've had colleagues disclose things to me. I've had really great chats with people. Equally with friends, I think I'm seen as someone that knows a lot about the subject so my friends feel more comfortable perhaps disclosing things with me so those conversations have been really great to have and I've definitely been having them more I'd say in the past two years mm. um, and the other thing is I think this pandemic has actually benefited kind of that cause 
because people have everyone has suffered I think emotionally and mentally from lockdown you know if you haven't then you should take a look at yourself because something's going on <laughs> I'm joking <laughs> you know, right though yeah all suffering so that's what people have been talking about because we're all in it you know it's something that's happened to everyone so that's definitely fueled at least for my group and maybe that's where we are at a stage of life but we've definitely been talking about that because it's it's just nice to know that you're not the only one going through it what I'd like to see is a more nuanced conversation where you're talking about your mental well-being without having to be diagnosed with a mental health condition you know if you haven't been diagnosed with something or you're not taking medication for something it doesn't mean that you can't suffer from an episode of depression no that you're you know you're really controlling your eating and struggling to eat well at that moment and those kind of nuances I think people are still of the mindset of well I've not been diagnosed and I'm not seeking professional help so I can't talk about it it's it's not really an issue and that's actually true because everyone has mental well-being and we should all talk about it and this is the whole thing right is really addressing mental well-being our day-to-day what can we do day-to-day like physically emotionally mentally what can we do day-to-day to try and look after our mental well-being to say yeah I've had a shit day I feel really angry about something I'm really sad about something but you know what I'm gonna have a nice dinner I'm gonna have a bath I'm gonna go to bed have a good night's sleep and then tomorrow I'm gonna start again and hopefully it'll all be better and you know just addressing that maybe um like you said at the beginning with that you know the the ups and the downs um and the whole covid thing sorry neil go no yeah i was i was just also thinking about you know it's about normalizing the conversation as well i think a lot of people you know are afraid to talk about it because they feel as if they should be speaking to a psychiatrist or a counselor or whatever and it's not it's just like healthy to talk like I've learned that a lot over the last couple of years in that just speaking about stuff helps like um and you know another I, I talked to a friend who you know I, I I've been on Ciparex or a very very you know well, some, the amount I was taking was very mild and depressant to help with anxiety mm. I, I'm off it now but I was afraid to talk about it because I was like oh people think I'm depressed it wasn't it was just to help my day-to-day and it did help it did help me be less anxious or highly anxious and it took a little bit of an edge off and it just helped it was you know if I've got a cold I take Lemsip right and it's just normal but I was afraid to say to people I'm on I'm on Ciprex which is an antidepressant because it's the negative connotation around that word all those mm. words aren't depressing. Yeah. And, and I think it's just about normalizing. I spoke to a friend who is on, um, who was on, is on, I don't, I'm not sure what his current state is, but he was on antidepressant drugs as well. And he said exactly the same thing. He was like, he took it initially from the doctor because he was like, well, the doctor's given it to me, it must be right. And then he went back and then he didn't really, and he's, since then he's found out lots of his friends are taking a form of anxiety to t- help with whatever their issue is. So, yeah, I think it, it comes to normalising the conversation in and around various aspects of it. As best as we it can. is normal. I mean, so many yeah. people are struggling, are seeing a therapist, are taking medication. It's it's almost silly that it's this silent elephant in the room because there's so much benefit to be had by having these conversations and then not feeling this shame around it. Like you would never lie to someone and say, oh, I'm going to the library when you're going to the physio to sort out your back, right? You know? <laughs> um, yeah, good point, yeah. But um, one thing I'm really like, would just like to just touch on. So we talked about the COVID and we've talked about, you know, let's hope that actually COVID horrific pandemic. But for those of us that are fortunate are still to, you know, be here and to have learned from it, have hopefully gained stuff now. Georgia, would you be able to just like talk us through um, your like your COVID year experience, where it started? Because I think you know it was uh, exciting, um, and then sort of you know where you are today, and and how what have you learned from you know these last fourteen months? 
Wow, what a question. Um, yes, yeah, so, well, when the pandemic started, I was trying to have a typical post-university gap year, um, which unfortunately mm -hmm. stopped abruptly in Vietnam uh, when COVID kind of crossed seas from the UK, actually, into Vietnam. Um, and from then, it was very high-stress situation, trying to get home and... and make decisions with with my best friend that I was traveling with and then when I did get home it, we everyone at that point kind of thought oh you know it'd be a few weeks or a few months and we'll get back out there and I didn't have a job when I had a job lined up it was taken away because of the pandemic so I was like oh it's fine I'll go but I'll go back out I'll travel some more I don't have the money um it was really going to be my year off and then you know kind of in in May, June time, you know, two, three months down the line, I realized that actually it's not going anywhere. Um, and I think that I, I am someone that really struggles with doing nothing. I think this is, a lot of people struggle with this, either those that were furloughed or they lost their job or whatever happened, that they were stuck with doing less or not doing much in their day to day. Um, I'm one of those people that always has to plan, always have to have something lined up, um, wants to feel like they're doing something meaningful. So I just applied to all these jobs and to all these things, um, just filled my time. And eventually, obviously, got this job at, at the Priory where I work now, um, which was great. But reflecting on that now, you know, actually to not be okay with doing nothing for a short amount of time, I think is a sign of poor well-being if you can't take the time to sit with your thoughts to sit with yourself to find you know take pleasure in going on a walk or doing some yoga or spending time with your family then you need to change something mm -hmm. I think that's what a lot of people realize is you know why are we not okay with spending an evening in um or just you know having a different focus for a few weeks or not having something lined up because I think that's where this whole fast paced kind of life and always focusing on the next thing and the next thing and the next thing it actually really impacts our mental health negatively. So that was a big learning for me, which is I really want to be okay with doing nothing. Um, and I've got better at it, I'm still not there, but that was the kind of the main thing for me is that in all the time I had, I think I finally realized this isn't going away and I just need to accept it, accept the slower pace. I mean, that's fascinating. And I think there's a few people in your household who probably struggle with that. Um, there's a few people on this podcast, I know that. Um, <laughs> George is admitted, George is one of them. So there's only two other people. <laughs> <laughs> what? what? <laughs> um, it, it just, isn't that amazing? like that that idea yeah. that you're like oh I'm not doing anything why well, don't understand this and there's a story where this this guy went to the like the Philippines and had met this lovely fisherman and he was just out there and he caught five fish and then he went back in and the guy was like why don't you catch more fish sell the fish make more money like build a business and the guy was like right okay what am I going to get from this and then from that he was like we're gonna you, you then you could make an empire make loads of money and then the guy was like okay and then what and he goes and then you can retire in like 15 years time and sit on a beautiful beach and just catch fish for your family and he was like that's what I'm doing now so why would I waste 15 years to get back to this place yeah I mean I think we need, I think we need to reference James Smith James Smith there is that is that yeah, it? James is that Smith. where I've listened? Yeah, yeah, it's off James Smith. I, love it. <laughs> I love it. I love that story. I thought that was really beautiful, really epic, and very telling of a time that we're living in. So, yeah, obviously, literally, we could talk for ages. The I think the last thing I'm I'm super keen to to talk about is you know where 
you are now your workplace so you've gone through education you've tried you try, you've attempted traveling you will get there again um but you are now you're now back in the workplace before you go back into education to do your master's in clinical mental health sciences um what about your experiences on this ward with these young people i mean your stories must be beyond fascinating and probably something that most of us don't even appreciate what young people are going through right mm. the worst yeah. case scenarios yeah it's been intense and at times really difficult but I actually think for me it's been the best job that I could have had during this time mm. because it just grounds you and it gives you so much perspective in you know not only how lucky you are but you know just actually the important things of life and you know the really important things to focus on and make sure that don't happen to you and the people that you love because there was so much to be angry about and annoyed about um during this pandemic and during this year but there's also so much that from my job I've I've learned to be grateful for you know to healthy stable parents for one massive privilege something that I wouldn't have really considered when you work with with kids and teenagers that have honestly been dealt the worst hand imaginable you and they're still surviving a pandemic and they're still surviving being in a room locked in a room for 14 days with literally not going anywhere because they have covid on a psychiatric ward then you realize actually how resilient we are as a species that you also realize the things that you have to be grateful for um i think that's been one of the most difficult things for everyone during this time so i actually feel lucky that i have had kind of this what i call life experience as well as well as a job i mean it's wonderful to hear that because you know it's it's not an easy job it's not a job that very many people could put their hand to and come out of it unscathed emotionally i think mm. um but it's something I say I'm unscathed if I'm being honest mm. I think I it's it's almost made me have to prioritize my own mental well-being more than before because you're taking on so much of other people's emotions and you're in a very intense environment that when you have time off you have to be using that time off to reset yourself mm. not it with loads of other tasks and admin and seeing friends you actually have to be taking the time to yourself if you do that then you can manage those kinds of jobs if you don't then then you can't that's the importance of prioritizing your well-being i mean it's incredible yeah it's incredible work um georgia so yeah amazing and and yeah like i hope it doesn't come across comments but good on you because you know the world needs more people like yourself to help out those people that are you know struggling in a variety of different ways so mm. yeah amazing amazing and i think you know thank you for your honesty to say you know actually it is pretty tough and i have had to make sure that i i give myself time it's a bit like the whole you know on an airplane you need to put your oxygen mask on first so then you can help other people you are putting your oxygen mask on on those days off um and so yeah i mean obviously i'm literally like super proud right <laughs> suppose you're not crying sass, to be i honest. know i'm really keeping, <laughs> really keeping it together here i'm just thinking of this this tiny little person that she was when she was like literally a blob and she had this funny little croaky voice and she was just you know to see her now doing what she's doing i'm not surprised i'm not surprised she is you know where she is on her her journey and there's so much more that you're going to do um and so what about one one final little thing um your your next step your masters um what do you hope what what's your future what are you feeling like like where where do you see yourself what's your aspirations next my main aspiration at the moment is is to qualify as a clinical psychologist 
um, which would mean I'm a practicing kind of doctor. Um, so I do both research. I'm really interested in doing more research, um, especially into children's mental health. There's just so much that hasn't been done. Um, because as you said, things like social media, changing the pandemic obviously changed things so I'm, I'm really keen for that side as well but um you know being a, an actual practicing psychologist having this that one-to-one time with patients um and at the moment I am leaning towards kind of specializing in children's psychology being a child psychologist um we have a national shortage of child psychologists at the moment path is long to that so master's first um got to do some more learning which I don't mind doing as long as it's not over zoom (laughs) (laughs) sure (laughs) and yeah I'll just try and enjoy the process that's what I'm gonna try and do not get too ahead of myself being mindful right exactly (laughs) yeah I, I love that I love that last sentence enjoy the process I think so many Young people, when I look back to when I was your age, Georgia, I was just like, right, head down, I'm going to smash this. Let's go into the next, and the next, and the next, and the next. And, and ultimately, you know, in in my, uh, as I discussed earlier, Sass and I have explained our reasons for being there. I think that led, you know, the last 15 years of my teaching career led to me burning out, you know, mm. plus other factors. It wasn't the only factor, but um, led, me, led me to burn out because I just chucked everything in at everything and, I did enjoy it, but when I look back, did I really enjoy it? Like, did I really take, like, absorb everything that was going on? Did I really, you know, I, I like, one regret I had, I didn't stay in the classroom long enough before going into senior leadership. I was, you know. Mm. Um, so, yeah, anyway, we, I, I can talk about my, uh, all that all day. Um, so, as we like to end all podcasts, um we have three final oh no sorry technically it's four but um you and you can answer these in any which way you like whether it's personal or professional or whatever so first question is are you happy such an it's such an interesting question because it's it's almost such a stigmatized question um happiness is something that i'm increasingly trying trying to see less of as a goal and more of as an emotion that comes and goes. So at the moment, I'm very happy. I'm talking to my favorite auntie, um, had a glass of wine and I'm very happy. Um, I'm not always happy, definitely. I have days where I'm very low. I have moments where I'm very low, where I've got other emotions that come up more. Um, But yes, at the moment, I am happy. Brilliant. And what an answer. What does the best one so far? That is, they're smashing that. Yeah, I love it. <laughs> um, second one, are you healthy? So I, this is an interesting one because um, I think a lot of people, if you ask that question, would think, oh, physical health. Am I physically healthy? Am I exercising? Mm. Um, and I, I've really been trying to put more focus into kind of seeing it as one thing, like my mental health and my physical health are one category um so I I am healthy as a result of the measures that I've been putting in place like for example trying to exercise to reduce my anxiety rather than to train for something or you know burn calories because at university that was I was having to train but I don't think my body was actually very healthy I think it was exhausted um so I've been trying to be kinder to myself and you know eat well for my mental health there's a massive relationship between you know gut bacteria and mental health and sleep well for my mental health and also exercise for my mental health which means if I'm tired I'm not going to go on a run I'm going to go on a walk and if it turns into a run that's great if it doesn't doesn't matter you know I'll often leave the house not knowing what I'm going to do but just try and listen to my body a bit more and then at least I've done something. And um, so I'm still, wor- obviously, I'm still working on that because it's not something that's drilled into us at all with these Fitbits and Pelotons and whatnot. But I am trying. I'd say I'm on a like, yeah, solid seven out of 10 and I've got a way to go. Uh, once again, Joe, I just have to say that's an incredibly insightful answer because mm. it took me being ill. Um, to realize anywhere near what you've just said like 
yeah, it's just an incredibly powerful answer. So yeah, thank you for that. Um, and at such a young age, I don't like to keep referring to that to your age because it's got nothing to really do with the conversation. But nevertheless, at 23, to be that reflectful and, and in that position is amazing. Um, and finally, and I've realized I've asked these questions in the wrong way around for the title of our podcast, <laughs> but nevertheless, are you comfortable? Yes, I would have to say that's a resounding yes from me because I, I am very lucky. Um, I have a good home life. Um, I live in a nice house. It is my parents' house, but I love them, so it's fine. Uh, <laughs> so I am definitely comfortable. I was actually talking with a patient recently about the concept of being comfortable and when it's perhaps good to be uncomfortable. And I think mm. that's really interesting is if you're someone that suffers from anxiety, as I'm sure you know, Neil, uncomfortableness is something that you're like mm -mm, get get that away from me that is red zone no but when you feel well enough or energized enough to push the boundary slightly and test yourself is really important um, and that's something that we try and do with the young people on the ward all the time so you know I think I'm I'm someone that suffers from social anxiety for example so I think from this pandemic I'm going to be uncomfortable in big crowds and social situations. Does that mean I'm not going to go? I hope not, because I want to kind of push that. Mm. Yeah, amazing. Thank you. And and then the final one is uh, three rules for achieving well-being. Or your three rules. Yeah, your three top rules. tips. My top yeah. tips. Okay. Um, get. This sounds so. They all sound so cheesy. Anyway, it doesn't matter. Um, I'd say get, just get to know yourself. Like, take time to think about how you feel, how your body feels, and how your mind feels, and why that might be the case. Um, you know, what makes you feel happy and what doesn't, um, and really have that awareness. It's such an important thing to prioritize if you're going to start trying to look after your well being. You need to know yourself. Um, my second one, Sass, I know you're going to love this. Um, Go on. Is don't be afraid to say no. <laughs> don't be afraid to say no. Yes. Good one, Jean. We need to be setting boundaries. Again, a bit of a buzzword, but, you know, not attending things where we don't feel up to it, not spending time with people that are going to zap the energy out of us. You know, I've cancelled shifts at a hospital where I know it will negatively impact patients. I've had to do it because I know it is actually gonna not be good for me or them for me to go into work that day and I need to put myself first. So if that's taking a sick day from work, we need to be doing it. If it's canceling plans last minute, we've got to trust that our friends are gonna understand yeah. and be honest with the reasoning too. None of this making up you know colds and as you were saying being honest with I'm, I'm having a bad mental health day a bad mental well-being day use the term um yeah really important love that um and the last one is I think just like seeking out joy and it, it sounds really basic but like when we get to adults it's, it's such a thing that people are like, no, joy and being playful and having pleasure. That's, that's for children, you know. Children can play and adults work. And that is just not what humans are made. Humans need to play. You know, grown-up animals are playing all the time. We need to find what gives us that kind of raw, all-consuming joy and do more of it. You know, that might be giving... To charity giving to someone volunteering it might be taking a bath it might be going dancing around your kitchen you dancing dancing dance small that's it that's number three. <laughs> <laughs> oh my goodness i mean wow that has been immense i mean neil i'm obviously biased because she is um she is my niece just to let everybody know again um but uh, we've always said it she is she's an old soul in a young body she's full of wisdom this young lady full of wisdom um 
And I have to say, just, just out of that, just the joy, playfulness, say no, get to know yourself. I mean, strong top tips there. So thank you, darling girl. I really, I love that. Welcome. Thank you for having me. Yeah, and uh, yeah, from from a less biased perspective, uh, but nevertheless, it's been amazing to have you on, Georgia. And, and yeah, I've genuinely been blown away by you know your your level of understanding, um, your genuine care, love, and attention to what you do. And um, yeah, uh, we love to have you on when you're when you're Doctor War, <laughs> whatever your title. Oh, Beacon. Sorry, yeah, not War. Yeah, that's that. Sorry, um, but yeah. Um, uh, yeah, when you know, whenever that time comes, and when this podcast is still running in five years' time, we'd love to have you back on for sure. So. Yeah, when it's got a thousand, hundred thousand subscribers, I'll come back on. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, exactly, Perfect. exactly that. And um, so, just you know, thank you for for giving us a different perspective, different thoughts, and um, thank you for your work that you do um, in uh, in working with young people and their mental health. And wishing you so much luck for your journey. Enjoy every step of your journey. May it be, um, have its challenges, may, may it make you feel uncomfortable at times that you push your boundaries. Um, but yeah, thank you so much. It's been, it's been wonderful to be able to share the conversations that we've had. And um, it would be really lovely in our in our notes to just uh, write down the therapy that you talked about, the DBT, um, those wonderful charities that you've worked with um, throughout university and through the pandemic um, and going forward. So a final thank you. Thank you for having me. It's been a privilege. Pleasure. And that's a wrap. Thank you so much. Bye bye. <laughs> <laughs>